Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. <laughs> Today's chat with Rebecca, also known as Self-Esteem, was fabulous. It was fabulous. You know, I had a lovely time. I was feeling a bit, you know, pity party for one. And, um, you know, sometimes just a little bit of human chatting or interaction or whatever just just makes a day makes the day shine like a butterfly topics spoken about today include harassment and abuse as a woman navigating personalities in bands being a solo artist female pleasure and i don't, I don't know how to say this one i suppose not conforming to um, I don't know. Oh. Hello, hello, how are you doing? I'm good. Can I just ask, is this just audio or is it visual as well? Audio. Fantastic news. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best part about podcasts is that nobody sees you. Yeah, I've done time. that where, where I'm like just sat like looking like shit and then they're like, okay, okay please get on the Instagram and I'm like, yeah. So yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Nice this will be lovely to meet you. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's like having a real job at the moment, doing interviews all day and oh, just really? a photo shoot and like all the back to back to doing it. Do you know what I mean? And it's just been such a weird time not doing it that it's quite hard to get back in the swing. Of yeah, things. it's but, quite intense. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be intense anyway. Starting again, being mm. out and about in life. Um, but yeah, add in like a single going kind of well for me. <laughs> I'm really busy. But it's fine. It's all good. I'm definitely not complaining. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, congratulations anyway. Lovely, Thank lovely, you. lovely tune. Um, Thank you. I think let's just get straight in there. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm going to give you a quote. You tell me your thoughts and feelings on the quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that you said in... A different interview you started off with I know how hard it is for someone from a working class background to get into the music industry and I was just wondering if you could delve more into that um yeah I mean I think because it's so I mean it's really hard to talk about it without sound uh, sort of using quite like clunky ugly language but like there's no money in it like and that's the kind of like thing that nobody talks about this the since streaming became a thing like making making a living out of your art Mm -hmm. in visual art in in uh theater or things like that there's still some money there there's like funding there's ticket sales there's I mean you know physical art Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. kind of a market but music obviously just it just isn't sustainable so it's just kind of made it a to my mind, it feels like often that you can't financially devote your time and energy and uh, sort of daily life to working on making music unless you can afford to, like unless you've got the backup of like money from family or, you know, you, you've, I, I don't know, but like it's as simple as that. And I think that like I have no regrets and obviously I'm from like an amazing loving family, but it, it wasn't like I could 
just chill out and make my music and take my time mm -hmm. to do my thing um, without peril. Like for me, it's always been, it has to work. It has to get on the radio or it has to have to sell live tickets or I'm totally fucked. And it's like, it, a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it's not very cool or it doesn't look very kind of, it's, it's not very artistic to talk about money because there is a need and a purpose and a calling and I would be doing it anyway, but it's really tough to have the space and time to, to work, you know, essentially, you know, I used to take them a year to make an album and it's a year's worth of work that I won't make any money from, you know I mean? The product is, and it is quite a sort of, we all do, everyone I know is kind of not, not from money and makes music is a bit like, what are we doing? <laughs> and now you can understand why like Rihanna doesn't, She's not bothering to put music out because it's like the uh, markup for like a foundation uh, is so much better than the markup for what you get per mm -hmm. song. So, but I like to not go on about it too much and not sort of feel like, poor me, oh, it's easy for you kind of thing. I think it's just a redundant, shitty thing to think about and, and talk about. But I do think it's worth sort of, I think I, I feel bad for people who aren't from money trying to make, it and and it, it it it's really alienating and you and and there is a sort of unfairness to it mm -hmm. i mean i think so much of making music is about having that space to make music um which is another something that you just pointed on and i was just wondering what's the relationship between knowing that the industry doesn't make money but knowing that you also have to pay the bills and live and and eat and yeah, I, I've always wondered, like, what would my music sound like if I didn't have this sort of uh, pr pressure, I suppose, to to make sure it's going to, you know, gather fans or get on the radio. Um, and you're right about space. And I think that I've, I'm just finally understanding that. Um, I used to be really hard on myself and really really like push and try and like be like really addled with like why not me kind of feelings all the time and and I think they're just generally growing up a bit now and and also things going a tiny bit better than usual have, has given me a bit of like it comes it all comes it's it's all part of the journey and you and in the process but uh yeah it's hard I kind of don't really have a cute answer because it's never not going to be a bit stupid that you you put all this energy into something that people just take for free. But, you know, we, we are 20 years too late to rectify that in terms of like uh, monitoring uh, the how it's done or like streaming services, making sure the percentages are fair for the artist, all that sort of stuff. It's all too late, it's all, and I use streaming services. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I, I understand how easy it is. And it, I sort of live in hope that one day it'll, something will happen to readdress the balance but for me like it's definitely like got me pretty you know bed for a week or two at a time like down about what what I've devoted my life to but then on the flip side as soon as I really think about it I don't need much I don't require like masses of money I'm not bothered about being famous like genuinely I just want to be able to make work um because it's all I ever wanted to do and all I ever will want to do so as long as I can make ends meet which I'm just about managing to now I'm like I'm going to shut up complaining and previously um did you substitute funds as in like you know a, a lot of musicians have two jobs so they have their music and then 
you know, the job that actually pays the bills kind of thing. Did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll do out me. <laughs> like, still, if someone's like, oh, we need a runner on a shoot, I'm like, how much? 130 quid? Sure. Like, I, I'll do anything for a bit of money. Um, I've done panto. I've done... Uh, I do, yeah, I've been a PA, a really bad PA though. My mm. God, it was terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I and I will still, I st I'm still always looking, I'm, I'm, try I'm writing like a theatre show that I'm sort of hoping that'll sort of have a little life of its own and maybe that'll lead to more like writing work, like script writing stuff. Um, and I think as well, I certainly in my 20s was like, did it, I was like embarrassed, I kept it secret. I wanted to look like my whole life was music and that's all, that's how I survived. And and now I I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm like, I think it's fucking cool to have another job and like be open, you know, the hustle is life. And like, I don't think it's embarrassing. It's like, makes me respect someone more. And I don't know, but that's a shift in, I mean, everyone's just so obsessed with what people think of them aren't they and like yeah. I, I guess I'm going through a bit of a phase of not giving a shit anymore um <laughs> uh, but I, I do say this as well like I think you know when I had to, had a PA job my work I thought my work would really suffer and my like uh, how prolific I was would suffer but I actually because I was so bored and <laughs> like a lot of waiting around being a bad PA sort of gave me a lot of inspiration a lot more time to think sometimes when you have no boundaries or restraints I think you can get complacent so yeah I'm always up for a job if you've got one going <laughs> <laughs> well I was also I was gonna you kind of just answered it but the balance between doing music which is like never ending basically and mm -hmm. and also having other jobs that, that bring the money in I mean, I don't have a balance. <laughs> I just, I really devote my life to it. It's been 24 seven since I was 16. Um, definitely has caused issues in my personal life. Uh, and my mental health really suffers for it. But the pandemic, to be honest, was the first time I had an enforced period of time where you couldn't do it. And uh, really looked at uh, why I do it and, and realized it's, um, it, I think it's like you because it's so weighted heavily against you in terms of finances and 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 uh you know there's a lot to be really successful you need a label that's going to put a lot of money behind you to give you the billboards to put you on the tvs to get you on all that sort of thing and if, if you don't have that it does get a bit like it's all destroying but I just really realized what I'm what makes me happy is creating and however I get to do that that's the goal and like however successful it gets great that's a bonus um but yeah I'm still working on that it used to really depress me like it's really caused me a lot of aggro in my life where I've not understood why I'm doing this and, and then felt very much like oh, I've got nothing else I can do and but I, certainly now like this song I just put out like people really loving it and getting a lot from it I've kind of figured out that I make music and I write the lyrics I write because they've soothed me and then it's a real joy when they soothe others and that's my lot even if I'm doing it to like three people and I it looks like I'm going to be doing that um you know and make it making it work yeah so just to go back to basics where did you start music how did you start music and where were you born or grew up should I say 
Uh, I was born in Rotherham and uh, so grew up grew up just outside of Sheffield and so Sheffield was my city you know like that's where I went to shows and I became really obsessed with music really early because my dad mum and dad had like I was one of the lucky people that got played like Beach Boys, Beatles, uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Carpenters. I was obsessed with Peter Gabriel and Freddie Mercury, like as a like five year old, yeah. which is obviously quite odd at the time, but um, it's never left me. Um, and I used to make up songs. I used to make up dance routines and bully everyone, all the girls that like live around the corner on the estate. I was like, you've got to do this dance routine. Like, I've been doing that since the off and and then I went through high school and like did music GCC and all the rest of it and and I started writing then really and just been a really slow uh inevitable thing that happened was that mm. I'll be this is my life and this is what I'll do but I did I, I was gonna go to uni and sometimes I'm like should I have gone to uni <laughs> would that have been easier maybe I was going to do media studies though so I don't know whether I I would have done that and have been in a band anyway and wanted to do that anyway. So. And then from high school, you started the band Slow Club. Can we go a bit more into what Slow Club, Club is? Yeah, so I um, was like upper sixth form and I was in one band at school with some boys from my year and we used to play at the boardwalk in Sheffield and you used to get a split at the door and if people came to see you so I was getting like everyone from school to come on time like my brother's year like everyone I like and we would make like it felt like it was like 100 pounds or something it felt amazing um and I really got the bug then I think and uh Charles my band mate was in another band and he was from a different part of Rotherham and and he he was just so talented and and he and I connected over MSN chat and uh <laughs> I went and sang on one of his songs and it was all very like, cause you're like, so, I was such a pretentious, like, uh, it's like, it was so embarrassing now to think about, but we were like, yeah, man, I'll come and feature on your record. And we were literally like <laughs> print, like copying these CDs and printing photocopying artwork. But it felt so, you know, felt like Laurel Canyon kind of like <laughs> uh, Neil Young meets Joni Mitchell-esque kind of, and, and we really went for it. and. We rehearsed all the time and then we started writing songs together and then we just played and because there's only two of us and I played a drum kit stood up and and we sang together and loads of harmony it was like a bit different I suppose a bit weird and we got a lot of off loads of offers to support bands because we were so easy to put on first because we were just front mm -hmm. of the stage so we didn't mess about with anybody else's gear I didn't realize that was why we kept getting asked to do gigs but I now see that it was that it wasn't um that we were exciting or anything. <laughs> but it really meant we sort of caught our touring the UK and Scotland. We went to Scotland so often, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, did like the Highlands, did everything, just like two or three years of like constant touring. Um, what age was this? Oh, uh, like uh, 19, 20, on the road, packed in the back of a car. I ended up with like a weird back problem. <laughs> from being like shoved in the back of the car with my legs up because of the drum yeah. kit in front of me but I just didn't care I just absolutely bloody loved it and um and then we carried on from there we got we got a record deal we made a record we made another one it just went on and on and we we were we never stopped I just don't think we we never turned a show down apart from a wombat support tour <laughs> it was the only thing we really? turned down 
yeah and i love the wombats actually i think they're really wicked like really really fucking good at what they do and i and i was up for it but we played one show with them and of like absolute classic like i got heckled because they were really laddie band mm -hmm. they was just like so much heckling about me and my boobs and like blah 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 and i, I was just like i just don't want to do this wow. it was like it was yeah, too too stressful to put oh my myself God. through that so that's the only tour we ever said no to yeah, I think so. Shame. I wonder if it would happen now. Cause I, probably, but I think people have got a bit. It's in the zeitgeist, isn't it, to not do that? But <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on the genre or the scene. Yeah, I think that was it. And we were essentially a folk band. We didn't make a ton of noise. We made as much noise as we could for two people. So it was just too rowdy. And that happened a lot. We toured Japan and went. We would do these shows at like 6 p.m., gorgeous like acoustic shows to like seated audiences. Then we'd do like a 1 a.m. show in these mad clubs and mm -hmm. it was like horrible. No one heard us, no one cared. I was tired. I was like, what? Like trying so hard to be seen. And it was amazing and it was awful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sounds exhausting though. Mm, that was the other thing as well. Like, you know, it is different for, you know, my menstrual cycle is like such a powerful thing and like, mm -hmm trying to get through flights and tours and, and drives yeah. and depending on the time of where I was in my I'll see like no wonder I was like a miserable cow <laughs> like no wonder I was in agony or I got ill or were you the only woman in the tour yeah 100 percent wow. which Intense. which now I can see like was so bad for me you know but it's nobody's fault but yeah it's just how it is and then for the documentary our most brilliant friends which i love i love the filming of the documentary i love the whole ethos i mean obviously it's quite tragic or quite like you know not the happiest kind of time but it was really lovely done and um yeah kind of like advice and briefly kind of going on the topic of the documentary of how to navigate personalities when in a band yeah i mean communication like that's like i've i've committed to that as a like uh something i have to have to do more of uh, across the board in my life um but my god we didn't know how to do that it's like this constant like i'm i'm a people pleasing sort of back foot sorry excuse me do you mind if person but with this kind of like very sort of strong energy and I, and I am clearly like I have very strong mindset about what I want to achieve and what I want to do and my work ethic is is all that but like mixed in with this like sorry uh, do you mind if female Libra if you want a uh, problem and you know all the boys in the band just very sort of happy in their skin like doing their thing loving it no complaints really they liked what they were doing and I didn't I couldn't but I couldn't couldn't say we couldn't talk about it everything I mean you know, he probably felt like he couldn't say anything to me because I would cry and I felt like I couldn't say anything because I'd be being difficult and just we've you know it just becomes this horrible silence and a very uncreative space and loads of resentment and loads of passive aggression and just you know you can really it's like a marriage it's we were in it a bit too long. We weren't both of us made each other unhappy ultimately. <laughs> and then you you finally sort of step away and do something else alone. And it's a lot easier. And, you know, I'm so grateful to that time in my life. I love everybody I ever made music with so deeply, but 
it was so unhealthy for me. When did you start to kind of feel like, okay, maybe this isn't for me or maybe, oh, oh I'm not enjoying this anymore within slow club? I mean, uh, way earlier than I sort of let on really, but it felt very much like suck it up, get on with it because this is what you've worked hard for and this is your only option. Like, I don't know about you, like I, the amount of sort of times, uh, sort of male uh, gatekeeper, if you want, of anything makes it's always been very powerful to make me feel like I'm the problem and it's me who's just got to get over it and crack on uh but now I see it's like I wasn't the problem it just wasn't working and I had every right to say I don't want to do this anymore but I didn't and and I'm saying back to everybody else involved like they had a right and they had to put up with me and have my bad energy <laughs> up and down the country. <laughs> so it, I, no one's at fault, nobody's wrong. It's just a natural conclusion, I think, to that partnership. But I always say this all the time, like if we were Coldplay and I was the bassist in Coldplay and I didn't really want to be in Coldplay anymore because it's a bit, does my head in and I feel creatively stifled. At least I would be in Coldplay and that bank account would be like bloop, 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 bloop and the, and the plane, would be comfortable and the train tickets would be paid for. But um, we weren't, we, was, we, was, we were just about making it work. And so I was uncomfortable, creatively unsatisfied, then getting to the venues and playing shows I didn't really wanna play mm -hmm. because they weren't the sort of shows I wanted to make. So all of it just became like really hard and like resentful and sad. And you can see it in the film and I, absolutely could have handled things lo loads better but hindsight is is the one isn't it like whoever does the right thing at the right time really <laughs> but you you guys had quite high numbers like listen account and engagement we, good. we are a good band like I would do it again for the right if it was the right thing like I, I don't know if I would write with somebody else again that extensively but I we were we did really well and we were really like we started at the same time as like Laura Marley and Rumford and Sons. They all got, you know, in the charts, like pretty big, you know, audiences. And we were always just were never quite doing that. But what we would were were this band that, you know, there were some people that bloody loved it and I loved so much of it. And it taught me like loads. And I think now like my live shows are like I, th I think they're really good and uh, people are always like wow how have you and it's like what, 10 years of playing to any any sort of audience you can think of I've played to and like won over in some degree not always but like I got really good at like learning how to be on a stage and mm -hmm. thank god I have that to, to realize what I'm doing now and and you know there's a beautiful uh happy ending to this which is you know a few more years we 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 do some shows and it's amazing and it's lovely and and all is forgiven but not yet <laughs> so when you kind of split up what was what was it like what was the atmosphere because that's the daunting part of being like uh, that we've been in this for 10 years and now I want to get out well there's never see that's another thing no one I never really communicated that very well I just said I want to go and try and do something I got quite a big opportunity from a theatre that never actually ended up um, happening so I but I saw it as a like right I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time out to do this um 
and let's see what happens. Charles made a record pretty quickly. I got a new manager and started writing self-esteem songs a bit more seriously. And I had this weird sort of 18 months of not doing much and trying to work it out and being really skint and <laughs> thinking, well, God, what have I done? But, um, but again, I'm really grateful to that part of my life because it, it was the, maybe the most sort of creatively fertile time I've ever had. And so it's just been for my mental health, like being able to do what I want creatively. It's just like uh, unscrewed, like so many, not well, un untied so many knots that were just like in my everything about me. And I'm like, oh, cool. I wish I. <laughs> Who knew there was like a total way to sort quite a lot of this out? Yeah, I couldn't imagine all of that tension in you and then being able to to like let that out, to breathe and to think as an individual. So we kind of move on to then self-esteem and that was your new project after Slow Club. How did that differ? I mean, that's a big question. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I it was it was so sort of slow and at the time I was like this is so painfully slow I can't figure out how to do this I don't know how to set my stall out I'm also like older than people usually are when they start something and it, it was a really horrible few years but also like I said like so creatively like exciting and dynamic and I really realized that I'm an artist like I didn't realize that I'm like a multi sort of uh, uh like I, I'm not, I'm not just a musician. Like it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot going, there's a lot more and there's a lot more, just the boundaries just like disappeared. And it's just still, I, honestly, I wake up every day still like so happy <laughs> that I get to do what I want and unchallenged and it's still a struggle, but like, I really have realized that unfortunately for me, because <laughs> I wish I'd been born like with the calling of being a banker but I've been born with this <laughs> dreadful desire to create and perform and have ideas that see the light of day and being able to do that finally without anyone saying oh, I'm not sure about that or oh there's no or like having to sort of facilitate someone else's creative vision uh, like I can't believe I didn't go more mad <laughs> when I couldn't because it's just the most uh, it's the greatest gift of my life. It's the happy. It's the thing that makes me happiest. Um, I love it. Sorry, I don't know if that's a question. I'm just like musing no, yeah, on how that's, that's great so my nice. life is. But <laughs> yeah, but it's so nice to hear after all that time as well. So one of the things that kind of stood out with me with self esteem. Obviously, it was complete. It was very different to a slow club. But you had these slogans such as prioritize pleasure and squirt isn't pee. Where did where did they come from? So so just to like to give a round that that was your merch. Squirt isn't pee. So basically, I I wrote all the song. I wrote, I wrote quite a few songs, recorded them. It, like I was saying about it being quite slow. So I got a new manager who, God bless her, probably ruined the day she ever took that meeting with me. But <laughs> she was really, we took, we did it all slowly. And the whole thing, you know, you play here and it's exclusive and no one knows. And we're building it all, and it got to the point where we were going to play live, and it was quite. It'd been quite an ordeal trying to find people to play live with and learning it and figuring out what it would be. And then we were like, okay, what are we gonna wear? <laughs> and I was just like, well, we're all gonna wear t-shirts that say square isn't pee. 
as if it was like the most obvious thing in the world. And um, <laughs> Louise, my manager, who was just uh, just the best, was like completely no no pushback. Just like okay, we got we got them printed up, and then we wore them because I because I'm passionate about it. Like I think it's like a men men hate the idea that we could come, <laughs> and like and it, there's no there's not much scientific. Uh, research. research no they don't know like literally you google it and it's like may might be and it and i'm like i i don't think it is i would drink more water if it was so i'm always really passionate about that i mean the amount of dinner parties i've been at with so and so's douche boyfriend's friend and i get into it with them about squirt <laughs> and i thought well it's a it's a billboard every day is a billboard if you want it to be on you know on your chest and so and and obviously that one had its day in the sun and prioritize pleasure. I'm just like, yeah, slogans. They like or like I also also think of them like poems. Or like one sentence poems. Uh, I had another one that said, "Nobody's art show is worth bumping into you for." <laughs> another one that I'm really proud of because I had like a dickhead boyfriend that really made contemporary art seem like something I didn't deserve to understand. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we would yeah. go to so many galleries, so many shows, and he'd refuse to speak to me about it. And I thought, well, I must be, just be thick because I wanted to discuss or say what it made me feel like. Or the whole point about art is there is no answer. Um, and then after, you know, he had a really awful breakup, awful person. <laughs> and then every time I went to an art show, I'd be scared of bumping into this guy. And I, and. <laughs> <laughs> there comes a point where I'm like, wow, no amount of like, no, nobody's art is worth seeing if it means I'd have to see you. Wait, Wait, but that's so rude. Why, what, how do you go to an art show with someone and say, oh yeah, 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 you wouldn't understand. Do <laughs> that, but, but look, I mean, this is so TMI, but uh, yeah, it turns out he's a dreadful, like true narcissistic, like abusive piece of shit. So it's part of the, Better you know, off sort of make me, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've learned all my lessons about those sort of people, <laughs> but it takes it takes going through it to let it uh, dig in, you know, and you and you learn. But yeah, uh, and the t-shirt thing, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to carry on live show. I think we might go up a level. We might have suits, but also I can't ever. I just love it. Um, to me, being on stage is an opportunity to say something with your mouth and your vocals and your lyrics with your body. And also with what you're wearing, mm -hmm. like being in an indie band for so long where no one wanted to wear the same thing or we, it was all about like the the most, the more you can look like you don't care, the better. And it's not true. for me, I'm like, every, it's like such a missed opportunity every night to not be like, you know, saying something stupid on your t-shirts. Especially if that's you. That's like your version of creativity. So just to the T-shirts and the slogans, you know, there's emphasis, obviously, squirt isn't pee on female pleasure, which is like ridiculously. I mean, it is spoken about more so these days a bit, but it's like ridiculously not also. Um, what kind of reactions did you get? Do you know what? So I, I, I'm really lucky, like touch wood at the moment. Like I know I say a lot of things. and I'm, a, I'm sort of some people find me very shocking. I don't think I'm ever being very shocking. I'm certainly never doing it for a reaction. I'm, it is just me. Um, and I and and I could get a lot worse sort of abuse and stuff. Oh, oh, I thought you meant your your t-shirt could get a lot worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, please. I will say I did have one t-shirt that said 
one of the girls in the band said, like, I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable wearing it. <laughs> it said, I want someone who'll fuck me on my period anyway. Which now, with a bit of hindsight, was quite, quite visceral. <laughs> That's completely fine. Yeah, I had it. I had That's what you want. I mean, I've had like so many lovers, but uh, <laughs> I had one boyfriend that was like, oh, no. I feel like. I feel like I know your love life quite well from doing a bit of research. <laughs> like, I feel like I've heard about a couple of boyfriends, a oh, couple yeah. of girlfriends. girlfriends. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please delve into more. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like if I'd met someone at like 23 and settled down and that had been it, I wouldn't have experienced life in the way that I have. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, hang on, what was I saying? T-shirt. <laughs> slogans the abuse could get a lot worse oh it could so yeah and I've got loads of like sort of you know middle-aged male fans with kids and stuff that love what I do and they they see so much like they identify with my lyrics I don't think my lyrics are particularly like only for women and only for feminist women like I think it's just about being a human being is quite hard um but yeah the square isn't P used to get it got like either some men would be like, yeah, fucking no, it isn't. Yeah, because you'd be like, oh, you've experienced like, the joy of such a thing. So any other slogans that are coming out? <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't thought about it much. I mean, I think we're going to go suits, but I think we will still be doing So I've got some other sort of ideas bubbling under. I really want, like, I'm so passionate about like domestic violence and like femicide and stuff like that. And I really want to push a sort of, I think I think what we've experienced certainly recently is mm-hmm. me- men um, realizing something they didn't realize before is that like how frightening it is every day to be a woman and like and us going on about wanting equal rights and stuff like that is one thing and then the other one is everything I all my behaviors you can trace back to a lot of my I say me as in like, I, I guess I'm just a woman in the world, but like I'm frightened all the time. Like, and it, and it bleeds into general, like how streetwise I am or how confident I am to go anywhere. And then it goes into my relationships or, you know, my experiences certainly with men where it's like, did I want to do that? Or was I scared to say no? Or um, you're always so, there will always be this thing, this fear. And I don't think people have, understood that and I think like loads of uh I don't know I did the sexual assault uh, sexual, <laughs> sexual abuse in the music industry I'm usually the go-to girl to get the call <laughs> for a podcast or a documentary and I did a whole thing with a documentary and I, I didn't make the cut um and and the and the reason and, and it was because what I was saying wasn't like shocking enough and I and or graphic enough or my sexual assaults aren't like as violent as others and uh and I I'm really passionate about that like the idea that if you make a documentary and you're going to get like you know 10 bends watching it going oh that's not me I don't go out raping people and then they turn you know switch over happy in the knowledge that they're not the problem but it's all the small and nuanced stuff the micro sexism the constant sort of sexualization of of you as uh, that's what adds up and becomes the problem so I'm kind of I don't know it was a really long answer but I think my next MO is a bit less fun (laughs) and it's a bit more about trying to educate because I also don't hate men like I like loads of them like (laughs) 
I think it's more about having a conversation that explains and, and, and encourages some sort of empathy from men. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that would be amazing. I think it's it's completely true. It does affect all aspects of your life. It affects leaving the house, going to work, walking down the street, like the amount of times I've heard, like even the day-to-day things of a group of boys or men shouting at you about something about your appearance or not fitting into society, whatever it may be. I just think like, I mean, my my thing has kind of always been like, if I was going to date a guy which is very unlikely even though I'm pansexual it's very unlikely but if I was I would want them to be like smaller than me or like not very muscular or this or that because I'm scared of them for like internally it's horrible yeah and also I think uh, for me like this is a whole other podcast to be honest but like where I grew up like in the 90s or whatever I remember turning sort of 14 and suddenly like going to Meadowall with my mom became this uh different experience I wasn't I was still a child but people would look at me and say Mm -hmm. things and men and and this weird I think it's probably very different now for teenage girls or whatever maybe it isn't I don't know but this sort of shift into like um adulthood before you're ready because of what your body's doing like I just had this like great big woman's body like way too soon and I and it you know and and it forced a sort of speeding up of my speed yeah I sort of had to speed up and 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 loads of anxiety that I wasn't doing it right and uh and uh I've got like I said I'm kind of not very eloquent on this yet but I remember thinking I'm not doing it right. I need to be having sex or I need to be like, and wanting attention from men was like validation much sooner than I, A, want, should have, and B, like, uh, I don't think that's, no. there was no way to know that that wasn't what I wanted. And then it's like mm-hmm. a few, I don't know if this makes sense, but like mm-hmm. quite a few, you know, all my teens and twenties being like, yay, he looked at me, yay, I got catcalled. It was almost like that, like a sort of like a very confused relationship to, what it meant and equality at all and I'm like late to the party to go hang on a minute fuck that uh that makes me feel uncomfortable that frightens me this isn't fair like all those feelings are only just making sense to me because they were sort of like fed a kind of weird narrative way like it was positive if people looked at you mm-hmm. and obviously going into a band at 16 was uh did nothing but make that worse but <laughs> yeah so it's just complicated and that's what I'm always trying to do in my art is like say there's no right or wrong I mean Mm -hmm. there are some but like for the most part we're all just cobbling it together and figuring it out and yeah I don't know I'm on one now I've got me on one (laughs) great good keep going yeah I mean do they did you ever in your experience or you know listeners or whatever who think this do we ever get taught that as a girl going from like you know teen to womanhood or whatever however we call it were we ever taught that actually it's offensive or it's it's inappropriate or it's like strange to look at a 14 year old girl sexually and make comments like we are taught and we're shown that within society that it is you know it's it's really flattering the attention well that yeah I've I've sort of I've only just started talking about this to to other women where I'm like did you sort of hope that that would happen, even though you hated it? Like, it's this really conflicted mm-hmm. mess, actually. Of, and, yeah, I mean, 
I think the issue here, like my parents are amazing and had they known the extent of like things men would say to me or things I would eat, they, they would have said something, but I think you, you keep so much secret. You kind of don't want them to know what you're doing. And like, I think I did, uh, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have anyone sort of saying that's weird. I also didn't realize I was really into Amdram. So mm. I was a big part of like, I was always doing musicals. And I always think about this, like all my friends auditioned for Oliver the musical <laughs> and everyone got in to be Fagin's gang. Mm-hmm. And I didn't because they said I looked too much like a woman. And I think I was like 13. And so I, but they still let me be in the show, but I was one of the like bloody serving wenches in like the umpapa number. And I'm yeah. like, umpapa, I'm like my boobs up here in this corseted, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, Nancy yeah. from Oliver dress. And I'm like, that's so weird. Like, and like, there was adults in charge. There was an, a director of this show who didn't go, mm-hmm who was like, you know, sit on his knee and pour him a beer, this middle-aged man. <laughs> like, you just end up doing it, do you know what yeah. I mean? Because you don't know any better and it's, it's, it's just so weird. Me and my friend who went to drama school, we were always like, oh my God, when you <laughs> think about the weird shit that you would do in, in like amateur dramatics or plays or school plays or anything, it's just like, it's just, all I can describe it as is that like speeding up of, of you, the end of your sort of girlhood mm-hmm. that, that I think just most people I know have had a weird experience yeah. that sets you up for a bit of a confusing time. And the alternative to uh, not being happy with the compliments can be quite dangerous. Uh-huh. So it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, compliments are fine. That's better than being called a fat, ugly bitch or whatever, or like being punched in the face. Yeah. That's so true. You you make you weigh it up, don't you? Every time it's like, is it worth it? it what's the what? Neither of them are great, but what's the what's less bad? And, and still now, look, I like if some bloke says something something to me within reason, I don't care. It's just like okay. And I, obviously, we're struggling now with the nuance of um, men. Men don't know if they can say anything or mm-hmm. can, can they ask you out? And and I and I suppose is difficult. I believe you can. I believe you can flirt and have fun and and be attracted and attractive to people without it feeling threatening or like un- not wanted. I think, but I think it's it is. You know, I guess it's tough. But that's why we're people like me are sat on podcasts going on about it because I because I think there's a long way to go, but I do think there is a way to find a middle ground. It's confusing though. I mean, and then going from that, going into the concept, because you speak a lot in interviews about go about marriage and relationships and what women are seen to do or what society, in society, what we're seen to do and our trajectory in life. What's your experiences with that? Well, you know, I, I could well get married and have kids and have a nice house and be one of those people that's done it at some point. But I would never want that to be some sort of relief for people who love me or care about my friends or family to be like, oh, thank God she she found happiness. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there's such a... And, and I don't think this is a... Sometimes I wonder, I'm be, I worry I'm being too broad or, or, or in my statements, but I do think you are, if you're a single woman over 30 or whatever, it's like, mm. 
and when are you mm. whether you're queer or not actually it's like oh are you mm. um it's a sadness about it whereas for men it's fine for literally like 20 30 more years before people go oh they never met anyone the pressure on that and the sort of amount of time it's taking from you just makes me sick and I also <laughs> I just don't think you are often I certainly was not uh I didn't know who I was didn't love myself didn't didn't know what I wanted until about now so why should I expect anyone to take on or, or, or for me to know who's right for me whilst I don't know what I think about anything and think I don't deserve anything and just such a mess, I think, and, and, and dangerous and scary. And obviously there's a biological clock aspect, which it, I'm not sure yet how to navigate. But apart from that, I just don't think it's fair. <laughs> why the fuck are you looked at as sad if you're alone i don't get it it's so crazy to me because also nobody can be nothing is certain you get married they could leave you they could die they could you know what i mean i think like this obsession with being completed by another human is is really fucked up mm -hmm. and i love going out with people i love it i love love i love sex i love all my relationships i consider loads of my friendships are like they're as important as romance to me they are the loves of my life like I really this isn't me sort of saying like be alone or you're a loser um I'm not saying it's I think life's really long and there's loads of there's loads of love and experiences to have and I just oh to make you feel shit for not having like one person that's been with you for years Obviously, I'm talking from experience because I get a lot of, <laughs> get such a lot of that. I've been getting that since like 26 as well. I was like, and, and I think I'm so passionate about it because I could have gotten married at 26, you know, to someone who was bullied me and it wasn't very nice. But I was like, no, it's okay. Everything's fine because I've got a boyfriend. Thank God. You know, like I also feel so sorry for the amount of shit I put up with because I thought it would make everyone else happy to see me not be alone. I just think it's so dangerous and toxic and weird and I don't know. You're, this... you've really, you're very good at your job because I am talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But there is, there's this one trajectory and I, I find it so fucking annoying to be completely honest. That There's like this one way of life that we should get a job get a mortgage get a partner or whatever route get a dog or have kids or whatever it may be and it's like firstly marriage is not going to be the best day of my life secondly I don't necessarily want kids and like thirdly like people are different we have different minds like respect it yeah it's insane how how different everybody is and how much you have a right to be different and also not consistent. You might feel a one way for a bit and then change your mind. And that's like, I, I struggle with this idea that you have to be the same thing. You need to get to a point that's you done. That's you now. Mm -hmm. And everyone, mm -hmm. you, you owe it to everybody to be this consistent one thing. And then I, I mean, it's a lot of therapy, a lot of time, a lot of time spent on it, but my life, like I said, like I, every day is this sort of like, even when it's hard and the shitty things happen, I'm like, I really do only have like one go at this. And I don't really want to spend much of it uncomfortable, or sad or being down on myself. 
you've got to just decide to be like I'm I'm the I'm great and everyone else is lucky to be near me and then that sort of breeds this sort of love fest for everybody it's like all my relationships are better since I started to be like just think a bit more of myself but whoever made me not like nobody society is fucking shit <laughs> I don't I don't know if I, I've got to do more sort 